Hello, you are listening to the Bethel Atlanta Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com. Well, it kind of feels like old times over here. Does it feel a little bit like old times? <laughs> well, you guys, I got up super early this morning so I could give from a place of being full because giving from a place of not being full is just dumb for all of us. Okay. <laughs> so it was still dark outside and... You know, in motherhood, when it's dark outside and the house is quiet and all you can hear is the coffee pot, it's like the tangible presence of Jesus. It's just never been more real. Can I get an amen? It's like that little green light on the coffee pot is just hope in the horizon. So what happened was... In those sacred dark hours, I hear a little pitter-patter coming downstairs. And I was like, oh, no, no, you, you actually can't be up yet. Um, you you got to go back to bed right now. And have you ever used the strategy, don't be happy, don't be welcoming, don't wake them up more, a little bit pretend like they don't exist on purpose. <laughs> And just don't change the subject. Go, go back upstairs. You cannot come out yet. And so, so, you know, that maybe lasted through three sips of coffee. And so I'm, I'm getting full while being drained. And halfway through, she, she looks at me and she's like, Mom, it feels like you're not real cheerful to see me. <laughs> Like, how do you authentically respond to that in the morning? Because in all honesty, my children are the absolute delight of my life, 10,000%. Except from the, right, from the time the sun goes down and then until the sun goes back up, that's the space where I love to miss you. And <laughs> you're crouching in on my capacity to miss you. <laughs> So then she was asking me some question, and I'm like reading the Bible, you know, and I just completely ignore her. And she's like, Mom, this is what I'm talking about. When I ask you a question, you're, you're not saying anything. <laughs> so sometimes we live out of our own delight for the people around us, and then sometimes we have to live out of his delight for the people around us. And we get full permission to have a bottom to our own delight and have a need for his delight. Because he never gets tired and weary. This is what Justin said last week, right? Wasn't that phenomenal last week? Wow. Honestly, I took him home after that service. I said, you are gonna live with me. Let's do that. We should pray. Holy Spirit, oh, we love you. 
We love you, we love you, we love you, we love you. We love you. It's honestly the mission of our whole life to love you. It's the goal and purpose of every breath we take is to love you. And some of us have been in a season where we just got dropped to the bottom of the bottom. And it's been like, whoa, I didn't know it got so deep down here. What's happening? And we, we're just learning so much in the deep of the bottom. And one of my favorite things that I learned down here is there's no bottom to your love. How high is your love? How deep is your love? How wide is your love? And when we come to the bottom of who we are, all we can discover is there's no end to your love. That the king is here. The king is down here. And in a world that's buzzing and rushing and hurrying all around, I just thank you that there's never a limited time only special on your love. That there's never a rush to get to the front of the line. There will never for all of eternity be a limited supply of your love, whether we're up in the height of it or we're down in the deep of it. That there is no limit. And so we, we've shown up into this beautiful, stunning day that you made, that was your idea where mercy is brand new, where love never runs out to receive, to swim in the reality of your nearness. And I just thank you that you're teaching us that every season is not about what we bring to you, but every season is learning the depths of what you have brought to us. And so our eyes are wide open this morning. Our ears are wide awake. Our spirit is at attention because we have come to taste and see that you are good and you never ever run out. There is no bottom to who you are. So we've just come to be the people of peace this morning, to be the people of your inheritance this morning, to be the sheep of your pasture, to look like you, smell like you, taste like you. And we're not in a hurry, Jesus. Take your time on us. Take your time in us. We love to be loved by you. We love to love you. 
And I just thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are weaving your way in and out of every person here this morning. That you are whispering things that are so big and so beautiful that it will take all of eternity to drink it in. And what a good day to belong to you. What a happy day to discover the joy of our life is that look in your eye. We are happy to be your people today. Have your way in and through us, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to take a little journey through Exodus this morning. Talk about a story. If you want to turn there, we're going to start in Exodus 3. And you know the story the story of Moses is so beautiful. Does anybody find yourself revisiting Exodus, Deuteronomy, Joshua? It's like endless amounts of life. And we're just going to pick the story up at the burning bush. You remember, he had this beautiful, life-saving experience where Pharaoh was killing all the male babies in Egypt. And Moses' family sticks him in a basket and floats him down the river to save his life. And he's completely rescued and given back to his mom to be nursed and cared for until he was weaned, which was an absolute divine intervention from heaven. That heaven had been scheming up a deliverer for years and years. The people of God had been in Egypt for 430 years. And it's definitely 0% coincidence that Moses was divinely chosen to be saved and rescued and called up into the place of being a deliverer for the people of God. And, you know, he ends up fleeing Egypt because he killed a guy and he was scared for his life that Pharaoh was going to find out and kill him. And he had been in the wilderness as a shepherd for years you know, because he was afraid. And God shows up to him in a burning bush and says to him, take off your sandals, you're on holy ground, and I am the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And when Moses heard this, he hid his face in his hands because he was afraid to look at God. And then the Lord told him, you can be sure I have seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries for deliverance from their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. 
So I have come to rescue them from the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own good and spacious land. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. Skip down to verse nine. The cries of the people of Israel have reached me and I've seen how the Egyptians have oppressed them with heavy tasks. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh and you will lead my people to the Israelites out of Egypt. And in verse 11, Moses says, but who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Moses asked God, how can you expect me to lead the Israelites out of Egypt? Then God told him, I will be with you and this will serve as proof that I have sent you. When you have brought the Israelites out of Egypt, you will return here to worship God at this very mountain. And you know, <laughs> it's just so comforting to, to look at this giant in the faith who is actually surrounding us now in the cloud of witnesses, feeling wildly inadequate for very good reason. There, there's like a million slaves, 600,000 just men in Egypt. And, and God just very matter-of-factly says, you're gonna have them all stand up and just leave Egypt. <laughs> and in that moment, the overwhelming question would be, who am I? Who am I? How, how is this even gonna happen? And, you know, it, it, it says that um, the expectation of Moses was how can you expect me to lead these people out of Israel, I, out of Egypt? And, you know, our expectations of ourselves are different than God's expectation of ourselves. And, you know, the last several months, I just keep hearing the Holy Spirit, I'm healing your expectations. I'm healing your expectations. And what, what insecurity has taught you to expect, I'm healing that. What fear has taught you to expect, I'm healing that. And, you know, when God calls us to something extraordinary, like to be sons and daughters of the living God, taking our rightful place in the kingdom. It instantly pushes up everything that we have defined ourselves by. And, you know, Moses goes into, I can't talk. I'm clumsy with my words. Everything that he would think would naturally qualify him to be a deliverer gets pushed to the surface. And, you know, the Lord's response to who am I is I will be with you. And the entire process of growing up into the person that God sees when he looks at us is the process of letting go of everything we've used to define ourselves outside of the presence of the living God. That it's not first your gifts, it's not your family line, it's not how eloquent you are, it's not how anointed you are. That your portion in the kingdom is that your only point of qualification is I will be with you. And you know, and the Lord says, this is proof. This is proof that I'm calling you. 
that after you're out of Egypt, you're going to worship me on this mountain. And it just makes me laugh because Moses was looking for proof right now. And the Lord is saying, after what I'm saying has happened, that will be your proof. And, you know, the life of faith doesn't get our proof before the process. <laughs> the life of faith says, hey, after what I've said is going to happen happens, then you'll see the proof that I am who I say I am. And, you know, sometimes we want to look and feel like the person that can accomplish what God is calling to accomplish before we start moving. And it just doesn't work that way in the kingdom. We start moving and we grow into the person that he sees when he looks at us. And your proof isn't on this side of Egypt. Your proof is on the other side of the promised land when you worship God after what he said has come to pass will come to pass. And you got to start practicing talking like a deliverer before your people are delivered. You got to start practicing living in confidence before you feel confident. You've got to start practicing living full of faith before you feel full of faith. You know, when, when a chick is inside of an egg, there's no way it can imagine what's going to happen when it breaks through on the other side of the egg. You know, it's like, you've got legs, you've got a beak, you've got feathers, and so much of your design cannot be discovered until you break through the other side of resistance. And you could get down and encourage that chick all day long, and it's going to have no idea what you're talking about because it's never walked. It's never used its beak to pick up a worm. None of its design can happen inside of the egg. And the resistance of pressing through that shell over and over and over is what it's like to walk by faith and not by sight. I know there has to be more for me on the other side of this shell. I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't know what it's going to taste like. I don't know what it's going to feel like or smell like. But I know that I've been created and wired for more than what can be accomplished on this side of Egypt. And wherever you're at in your current process, resistance doesn't mean that you're doing something wrong. It means that you're doing something right. And, you know, the, the resistance is actually building within you the capacity to maintain breakthrough on the other side of Egypt. Because, you know, what we're going to learn in this story is that it's one battle to be set free. It's a completely separate battle to take the land. And what you're learning right now in following the spirit of God and manifesting attributes that don't feel like that's who you really are is actually preparing you to move into your promised land, to manifest the reality of how heaven sees you and what heaven calls you. And, you know, Moses, I'm, I'm just so encouraged 
that Moses is beginning is an absolute need for a God who is bigger than him. And when, when we look at his conversation and how inadequate he felt, it's got to cause hope to well up inside of all of us. That dependence on the living God, I will be with you, is all we need to, to arise and shine into our place of existence on planet Earth. And, you know, I love the story when Gabriel comes to John the Baptist's dad. You remember? And he gives him this beautiful prophecy of who John the Baptist is going to be. And he looks, at, he looks at Gabriel and says, how do I know this is true? I, I need a sign that this is going to be true. And Gabriel says, I am Gabriel. I just came from the presence of the living God. You're done talking. You're done talking. And Moses is like, how can this be? I, I could never just get up and march a million people out of Egypt. And, and God's response is, I am God. I am God. Let that be enough for you. Let, let nothing else qualify or disqualify you, but that I am that I am that I am, and I am with you. And what a happy place to be in a process that would burn everything off of our identity except for what he says is true. That everything we learned from any other voice or experience or scenario would be cut off of our life until the only thing that's defining us is I am with you. And, you know, he, he's like, they're not going to listen to me. <laughs> and he was completely right. He, he, he goes, you know, to, to Pharaoh the first time. And Pharaoh's question to him is, who are you? It was the same question Moses was asking. I asked the same question. He didn't care. And, and Pharaoh's like, who are you? How, how, how do I know this God is real? And the very thing Moses was insecure about happened. And one of the greatest gifts that could ever happen to any of us is that the foundation that insecurity has been built upon is exposed in our life. And you know, sometimes we're like, I'm so triggered. been triggered for like three months. Everything's a trigger. I smell triggered. I taste triggered. I feel triggered. <laughs> Listen, you got to fall in love with being triggered. Because this is the thing. If you're never triggered, you'll walk around thinking you're the best version you can ever be. And you, you will live hiding in a wilderness, afraid of Egypt, not realizing you've been grafted as a deliverer, handpicked by the living God, so Egypt will be afraid of you. And if you're never triggered, if your faulty foundation is never shaken, you could live comfortable in a 
dreamt or thought. And you know, the best thing that could happen to Moses was everything he was insecure about happened. And Pharaoh looked at him and said, you are a joke. You think I'm gonna let hundreds of thousands of slaves just get up and walk out of here. And you know, you gotta, you gotta put yourself in Moses' shoes. I'm like, I know, I thought it was a joke as well. But <laughs> I would not have picked me. I told the Lord himself, choose somebody else. But here I am. And so Pharaoh laughs him out of his palace. And you can just imagine. What, okay, did I lose my mind at the bush? Because everything was magical and holy. The God of Abraham was there. And, and now I just got laughed out of my mission field. And, you know, and then it just gets worse. Because Pharaoh goes back to the people and says, you obviously don't have enough work to do if this fool is coming in here and asking me to let you go worship your God. And he doubles all of their work. And um, the people go into a frenzy because it's impossible standards. And, you know, this is biblical theology for the phrase, it often gets worse before it gets better. And, you know, you got to make it to the end of the story to find out who he really is and what he's really like. And often at the beginning of the story, it's super confusing, you know. <laughs> Listen, we are people of faith. We walk by faith, not by sight. And so when it gets worse in the natural, when you start moving towards the things God has called you to, that is our opportunity to be resolved to say, I would rather give my life following what I believe with my whole heart you called me to be on the earth than to give up because my circumstances are not lining up with what you say is true. And this is, this is the process of refinement where we have to step into the fire of Pharaoh's opinion. We have to step into the fire of our brothers and sisters' opinion. Why did, why did you come and say this? All, all the people of Israel rose up against Moses. You're making our life worse. Get out of here. And we have to decide to say yes to letting any opinion be burnt off of our life but his. And I, I, it's just painful when we've tied our identity to something else it's painful to let it burn because you're, you're looking into the eyes of the people you're called to love. And if we could just imagine Moses' scenario, he, he just made their lives of slaves that were already incredibly brutal worse. And if you could imagine what it would take to not run away at that moment. And no, I, I literally just did something to cause more grief piled on top of an already wildly traumatic scenario. And 
What a beautiful example we see in Moses that he stayed with the word of the Lord no matter the cost, no matter the external circumstance that was happening, resulting from him doing what the Lord called him to do. And, you know, then, then we go into this whole process where all these miracles start happening and these plagues and, uh, you know, Moses uses his shepherd's staff to, to cause all of, you know, the justice of the Lord to start to be poured out on Egypt. And, you know, in the first encounter, the Lord says, Moses, what is in your hand? And he says, a shepherd's staff. And, you know, this staff is what he carried around wandering around in the wilderness when he fleed year, Egypt for years and years. And, you know, this staff ended up being what the Lord chose to use to teach him about authority, to teach him about a God that is bigger than Pharaoh, a God that's bigger than him. And, you know, wherever you're at in your story, the worst thing you could do is regret what you've done with the last 40 years. Because where you're headed, he's actually gonna use the very thing, a shepherd's rod, that you've become most familiar with when you were wandering around in the wilderness. And there is no waste in heaven. And when we regret, well, I ran away in fear and I've done nothing with my life for the last 40 years. When we start to engage with a spirit of regret, it keeps us stuck from seeing that God actually wants to redeem what's in my hand. And you will never move forward by a spirit that is not of Jesus. And regret comes from the pit of hell. And when we tie ourselves to regret, we tie ourselves to being stuck. And it, it, the same goes with shame. Shame will never move you forward. Fear will never move you forward. Judgment will never move you forward. And when you look at your life and, and you see things you don't like in your story, the worst thing you can do is agree with what the demonic has to say about the last 40 years of your life. Because the Father makes space for what's been in your hand the last 40 years. And he says, Moses, look in your hand. And it, it was the most familiar part of his life, learning to be a shepherd in the wilderness. And it, become, it became the very avenue of redemption in his story. And this morning, I just see the Lord redeeming stories. Areas where you have felt this is a waste. I'm never gonna get over this. I, I wish I would have made different choices. That that ends today. Look, look at what's in your hand. He's using the very thing you thought was a waste to set a nation free. And so Moses starts using his rod to release all types, like there's frogs, I mean, it's pretty disturbing. <laughs> There's flies. 
you know, there's blood and all this gross stuff. And, you know, the Lord just keeps reminding them, I'm going to make you my own special people and I'm going to be your God. I'm going to give you your very own land. And, you know, it would be easy to think, why, why all the plagues? Why don't, why don't we just jump to the end of the story when the people of God stand up and march out of Egypt? And, you know, the Bible says Moses knew the ways of God, but Israel knew the acts of God. And there's some things we can get in a moment. You can be up here and get deliverance in a moment. You, you cannot become intimately aware of the ways of the heart of God without a process. Because process is relationship. And every time a plague happened, the Lord would tell Moses, go tell Pharaoh, let my people go to worship. Let my people go to worship over and over. Moses was becoming familiar. Tell them you're my special people. Tell them my heart is for you. Tell them I have your own land that's flowing with milk and with honey. Let my people go to worship. And in the process, we learn the heart of God. In the process, we learn the ways of God. And when we're only focused on the outcome, we risk becoming a people that only know his acts. And it's impossible to carry out our mandate to take the land. You know, they wrestled with fear over and over and over, wanting to return to Egypt because they never stepped into the space of learning the ways of God. That it wasn't just the power of God that set them free from Egypt. It was the heart of God that set them free from Egypt. And, you know, the Lord wanted to set them free so they could worship. And whatever you belong to, you worship. And so your worship is your freedom to belong to God. And the people of Egypt were owning, they, they owned the people of God and they weren't free to belong to him. And, you know, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. That you would no longer live like you belong to fear. That you would no longer live like you belong to shame. That you would no longer live like you, you belong to people. You have been set free to belong to God that the fragrance of your freedom is your worship. It's what honors the sacrifice of the lamb. I, I have been set free to belong to the God of all hope, to belong to the God of all peace. And you know, slaves, slaves have no place for rest. And you know, one of 
the greatest tests in our life to check out where we are with our freedom. So how is the rest in your soul? Because slaves' entire identity is wrapped up in what we produce. That your worth is connected to produce, 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 produce. And your rest is the spirit of sonship on the inside of you. You know, one of our most beloved verses, you no longer have a spirit of slavery. In the new covenant, it's no longer about taking external land. It's about the kingdom within you having free reign that no longer is there a spirit of slavery on my insides. You know, Jesus tells this incredible parable about these maidens who are waiting for, for a bridegroom. And you remember they all, they all had lamps with oil and half of them were wise and brought more oil and half of them didn't. And they all took a nap. They all took a rest. <laughs> and what happens on your insides when you rest reveals what is the oil running my soul. Because when you rest and you wake up with less, you got to change your oil. When you rest and you wake up behind, not, not in the presence of the bridegroom, we're building on our intimacy with a slavery mentality that my worth in this connection is completely tied to my production. Produce, produce, produce. And the heart of the gospel is that you have been set at rest to exist from him and for him and by him. And, you know, the, Moses ends up leading, kind of a spoiler, you'll just have to go and, and read the story. <laughs> he ends up, you know, marching a million slaves out of Egypt. And, you know, Pharaoh three times says, you know, just, just, just the men can go. Just let the men, the men go to worship. And Moses is adamant. No, it's all of us, young, old, everything that belongs to us. And then the next time, you know, he's like, just, okay, just don't, don't go very far. And he, he's like, no, we got to get far enough out of here in his mind, he's thinking to never return, you know? And then the last time he's like, okay, all of you can go, but leave your livestock. And, and Moses says, no, not one hoof will be left in this land. And, you know, I just felt that motivation of heaven, that his heart for you would be that not one hoof of what has been destined to belong to you would remain in Egypt. That not one hoof, that he cares about every single thing that belongs to you, that is rightfully yours. And that we would refuse to take the short way out of the story. Now, I, I would have just been like, 
fine, as long as my kids can go, we're leaving. Like, who cares about the, the donkeys, you know? But Moses was adamant. And says, we're going to make it to the end of this promise. And not one hoof of what belongs to the people of God is going to be left in Egypt. And, you know, heaven made sure that you would have access to have none of who you are wrapped up with the spirit of slavery. That 100% from the top of your head to the tip of your toes would be grafted into a different kind of spirit, a spirit of sonship, a spirit of freedom. And, you know, the, the beauty in the gospel is that we live from that victory to earth and that we are possessing a land that is the presence of the living God. The presence of the living God is our Canaan. And so let's just go ahead and stand up. And so Jesus, all across this room, I just pray that there would be eyes to see and ears to hear every, every single thing that, that we could say like Jesus, the enemy has nothing in me. Slavery has nothing in me. Shame has nothing in me. Guilt has nothing in me. Accusation has nothing in me. And that we would have the same resolve that heaven has to live fully possessed that I belong to the living God, that not one hoof has been left in darkness. All of me belongs to all of you. And so I just thank you, Jesus, for a brand new day today to live fully alive and fully alert to what it means to belong to you. And I just bless every, every single spirit in this room to be defined by what heaven says and heaven says alone. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you guys. Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. To stay connected with Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com.